welcome to uh, Best in Fest. I'm Leslie Lepage, the director of the La Femme International Film Festival, and this is a podcast for those who are interested in advancing their career in television and film and learning the dirty little secrets of Hollywood. Uh, today, my guest, I'm so happy to have her, is Katha Jenkins, and she's a director, writer, producer, playwright. She is um, extraordinarily talented. I'm thrilled to have her on board. She is really, you know, an expert at um, this whole festival circuit and and really bringing in actors that have enabled her to sell her content as she started off. Ironically enough, you started off as a literary agent in New York. So she's actually got the other side of this coin as well as the, you know, creative side. She um, just recently finished a film called Pooling for Paradise, which is a spectacular uh, indie film, which was based off of a play version of Pooling for Paradise. And that's kind of the second time she's done this. She she did another play that was uh, in, uh, developed into a feature called Bad Parents, uh, which I thought was kind of interesting. Now, Bad Parents got picked up by Relativity Media. It streams on HBO and, and Stars. So she's got a lot to offer us. Um, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> so I, I'm going to start off with you. What? You were what? You were a literary man. Like, how did you go from that to I want to make film? I know you started as a kid kind of making films, well, I, right? I would, yeah, because I would say the way, which is quite simple, is that I always want, I, I'm a storyteller. So first of all, I feel like I like to tell stories, which includes writing as a form of way of telling stories, but we can orally tell stories as well. And um, from the, you know, back in time when, you know, the Greeks would sit around and tell stories. In any case, when I graduated college and I went to Syracuse undergrad, I, I went to UCLA and got an MFA in screenwriting, but I knew I wanted to work in the film business. I knew I wanted to be a writer and I was like, well, I mean, it was slightly a cruel thing, you know, like, you know, basically I was like, oh, I'll learn how to sell scripts. So I'll know all about the other side. So when I write scripts, I'll know all the buyers and I'll know how to sell it. But I'm just saying it's sometimes it's not the best thing for creative to actually know the other side because it can be a little soul crushing when you see the other side. Well, right. well, what, well, what did you, when you were doing that, did you learn, like, did you get yeah. connections and did you oh, learn yeah. what was being bought? I mean, did you, did that change your writing? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I was very young and I actually started doing the film rights and books and, and worked with a bunch of journalists. And then, so I was in my mid twenties. I was very lucky because books were turned into movies mm -hmm. and these publishing literary agencies sort of saw the film side as, you know, like the the you know whatever the bastard child of their business right. and so I started doing that even when I was an assistant I'm like oh can I like try to sell these rights and I did that and you know again you don't get paid a lot so sometimes when you don't get paid a lot you can do whatever you want in this business <laughs> if you just do it which is right. kind of I would say the theme I would put to my whole thing is, is you sometimes you just do it. Like you just don't ask, wait for permission. And that's where it was. I was answering the phone and they're asking about film rights and, 
they were sending it to somebody in LA and they didn't believe very much. And I'm like, oh, can I do that? And so I started to do that. And I have to say that was a while ago. And I got the most wonderful compliment on Facebook this week because when I, um, I stayed an agent for about five years and somebody, and again, that was a long time ago, I was in my 20s, somebody who was my client goes, you know, t- watch that show, call, call your agent. And they said, you know, the best agent I had was Keith Agentis. I'm like, wow. Well, so, <laughs> But I think it was because I was a writer and it was kind of before managers existed and I really helped them nurture their stories mm-hmm. and really try to find the best. Con- it, and it was a different world for people watching it. There were a lot more development people. It was a beautiful time of, you know, where people had budgets to really um, take an idea, buy pitches and things like that. And that world is gone. But in any case, for me, I'm an extrovert. And being a writer and extrovert doesn't always go together. And so that's really why I started in sort of the literary agent side that I could be part of storytelling and sales. If you can convince somebody to buy, if you can convince somebody to invest, if you can convince somebody to star, Mm -hmm. that is all storytelling. And so that's where I'm always to writers. When I speak, I always say, you're basically a producer till somebody taps you out of that job. So you have to really be always be selling basically, or whatever it is, always be closing, but always be selling. (laughs) Right. Cookies are for closers. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So that's, that's, that's really interesting because you, it sounds like you were really nurturing those writers under your banner. And so you kind of developed that understanding of both sides of that coin. Yeah, and I knew, understood stories. So I, and I also knew as myself, as a writer, what I would like from an agent or a representative. And yeah, I mean, and I did it until there was a Writers Guild strike. <laughs> that was that. <laughs> so what was your first going through experience of, of now, now you're flipping on the other side, and and yeah. here is your first short that you are, you know, creating and trying to to yeah. put through the festival circuit. What was that yeah. first experience for you coming out of that forum? Yeah, well, so I worked as an agent, then I worked in development, and then I, I got a MFA at UCLA, which at the time, again, showing my age, it was five hundred dollars a quarter to go to get sit with these amazing professors and be in a writer's room more or less to create stuff for $1,500 a year as a resident. And I had a friend who worked, who was a development executive at the time. He goes, and we used to play paddle at at the gym at UCLA. He goes, wait, going to UCLA is actually cheaper than LA sports club. You figured this one out. Wow. And so, yeah, no. So I got to um, write a lot, you know, again, for me, it was having the confidence to, be a writer you know i think Mm -hmm. that takes a lot like the first step is to you know like it can be like oh yeah you know i want to write or i am writing but then it was like no i'm going to go to ucla and be a writer and it was exciting and i got an agent through that and then it was a time in my life when i decided to have children (laughs) so that kind of paused my career um because it was too much to be a screenwriter with a newborn mm-hmm. and no income for that. My husband was working, but you know, we didn't, it was like, how do we do this? And so I sort of paused my film career right. and then we moved back East and then I sort of pivoted out of it and did work in just traditional sales. As we all know, like the movie mm-hmm. business always is incredibly overwhelming. Yes. 
thing for creatives. It's very, it's not an easy place to be creative. It's, it's not, not, it's not nice. It's not yeah. a nurturing, nice place for creatives. Not at all. And that would be anyway, uh, which is, and then at the time, and also when you're in LA, I got to that cynical place because it was at a time where like you, which you're not supposed to do. And again, it was that time where you want to second guess the buyers. So you're writing to what you think they want. And then everybody's having the same collective experience because we're all in LA. So it's like, wait, we're, you know, so I needed to pause. And then I sort of what I called had this mommy midlife crisis where I was kind of working in sales and then that wasn't quite working out and I was successful. I, so I was selling greeting cards and I'm like, wait, I could sell something that has a set price and once you sell it, it actually recreates itself. I don't need to figure out what it's worth. I don't need to hope it creates more. I'm like, wow, this is like so much easier than selling people. Right, <laughs> so. right, right, right. And so I, yeah, so I was the one that put like 50 feet of greeting cards in all those car washes and it was kind of a fun gig. Oh my God, that's hysterical. That, that's then, one of your next quirky films. Yeah, and then basically as... I like to say in my metaphors, the creative beast inside of me started rattling her cage. And I think as creatives, no matter how cruel it is at times and and daunting, mm -hmm. you know, if you if you have that in you, you need to nurture it and express it. So I wrote a script and um, which was this film my first film, which, you know, was, you know, called And Then Came Love. And right. I was a suburban mom and I wrote a script, a romantic comedy, and I couldn't really get anybody to read it because all my, you know, I jokingly say, I think I was out for like, like 10 years, which I like in dog years is like, is what, what Hollywood years are. If right, you're yeah, right. Five years, it's <laughs> right. really like 40 years. It's like dog right. years. You can't take a break. Well, wait, and, well, before you continue, yeah. there's something really interesting about that script because you're Caucasian mm -hmm. and, and, and the script is not. Don't tell people that. This is the year of diversity. I don't identify as Caucasian. I'm just kidding. <laughs> You know, there's truth in that, but uh, <laughs> there's truth in that. Don't don't get me started, because um, I can be ten minutes of me doing a political thing. But back then, I mean, uh, the African American community yeah. and the African American films really stuck to their own, and so now you have a Caucasian female who is the writer, director, producer on this thing. And yeah, well, I wasn't the director. I naively discovered something because. I am, and you know my body of work, um, I like to tell stories about people and I don't really think, oh, who am I, who's going to be cast in it? And which is, you know, the way theater is like they cast um, actors that best represent your characters. And so I, at the time, it was a romantic comedy about a single mom um, Vanessa Williams and I both had gone to Syracuse and had a mutual friend undergrad. And I thought, huh, like it was about, you know, a, a, a single mom. And I thought, here's Vanessa Williams at the time she had gone through a divorce. And I go, look, here's Vanessa Williams and these other, these very successful women that can't, um, that get divorced. And so I thought, oh, that she's a really, especially at that time, a really empathic person because, you know, who would be a donor and seven days single mom, like that her career, like she, and, um, and so I cast her and then we built it around her. 
And I really wasn't making what at the time they called an urban film because there was nothing urban about it, which was code word. And Michael Boatman, I cast, I mean, it was just, I cast the best actors for it around Vanessa Williams. And that was, I think, what's in the best of film experiences. Forget the marketing. When you're making a movie, you really are just, like, you become this family. So you're not really so aware, in my opinion, of um, of things like that. Like, these are your actors, this is your crew, and you're not really... so. I made this story with a cast that was predominantly African-American or black or whatever, because they all don't have, you know, whatever the right terminology is in Vogue, um, a black cast. And I didn't really think of it that way. I just cast this movie around Vanessa Williams. And then I discovered in marketing that that, so I did colorblind casting before Anybody it even existed. <laughs> yeah, right. Before it I really did colorblind casting. And weirdly, that's how I got to deal with Warner Brothers because they were really looking for films, you know, that had a black cast in it. And it got me a deal with Warner Brothers. And then I did these festivals, again, what you're saying, mm-hmm. that was so gratifying. And I started doing what were called this, the urban festival circuit. Right. And with this film. You, you were yeah, taking that this film, film out. Yeah. Those festivals. And the film was so well received. And, you know, the audience just, you know, they we had Eartha Kitt in it. Um, and it was just so embraced. And, and I would say to the festivals, do you know, you know, or, you know, I'm not black, nor is the director. And they're like, no, we don't care. It's the story. And it was so well received at that time because this was like 12 years ago. They're like, this is not like an edgy story about drugs and poor people. You're just telling a nice story that happens yeah. to have black people in it. And that's when I did learn about niche marketing, which is a huge thing that I think independent filmmakers need to keep in mind is mm-hmm. telling stories for an audience that could be an overlooked audience that's very easy for the studios to pass by yeah yeah well but distributors and festivals to rally behind it because Mm -hmm. of that truth which you know and especially in the viral marketing space you can get the allies people behind you um i mean ideally if you're part of the audience you know Mm -hmm. meaning that you are that person but other it doesn't matter as long as you're telling an honest story i think that's all people hope for (laughs) yeah and what's interesting is that um you've you've hit that niche a couple other times in your filmmaking career you know you have you had bad moms which is sorry sorry bad parents bad parents parents, 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 parents. Uh, right 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 (laughs) which was based off of a of a play that you wrote now we're now let's talk about that for a second because that was really not really a niche per se that really hit a larger gamut audience but well, you know, yeah. but it was based off of your life. I mean, how did you come up with this like crazy idea of these insane like soccer moms? Because I'm a baseball mom, so I'm an insane baseball mom. So I get it. Really? And that's why, too, it was really about the parents. So, yeah. So and actually I had a second film because I saw that the um, there was really interesting things I learned in marketing. And then I just wanted to make another little film after that. Cause that first one was overwhelming. Cause honestly, mm-hmm. I'd never made a movie before I worked in agenting and development and writing. I didn't real I hadn't read the chapters on how to make a movie in the book. Right. Yet, so right. Like, I don't you know. just did it. You just did it. And it was, and it was a huge success. Oh, what's post-production. You mean it's not done when we said <laughs> wrap, that's a wrap. <laughs> right. 
it's about right. you, yeah you you learned as you as you as you went yeah, yeah. but yeah so then i did this um gay romantic drama which and and so which also got a distribution deal which mm-hmm. was also very well received but i mean i do start with themes that are very personal to me and that was all about living your authentic life and it was stuff that i was grappling with and i'm like oh i can hide out through these characters and that was the film the one the one and and, then, and that was really groundbreaking though let's not bypass yeah. that that was groundbreaking because the the love affair was with a guy like yeah. you know the other woman was not a woman it was yeah. a man well and i wanted to do like it was really and i kind of when i'm grappling for writing go to like philosophy and and I was kind of inspired by Plato's dialogues on love. And I was talking to a lot of my friends, many of them who were gay at the time. And we're just talking about what is, tr- there's love and then there's true love. Mm-hmm. And it was just, again, it was, it crossed both lines into hetero relationships too, that we get into relationships and sometimes settle because we think, oh, that's good enough. And then all of a sudden the real thing comes along. And that's what I wanted to deal with this man which I think a lot of women deal with too. It's like he had everything, so he was just going to kind of keep his mouth shut. <laughs> and then right. this man comes into his life that sort of rocks his world, that he has mm-hmm. to face his authentic self. And mm-hmm. a little bit what I dealt with in the other F word, which we dealt, which we talked about is, right. how women, you know, so many times we are what other people want us to be. So anyway, but yeah, on Bad Parents, that was the first time that I really looked inside myself for a story mm-hmm. and that was also very Beckett um insp- like also philosophy inspired. Um, yeah. yeah inspired and there was a play called happy days if anybody's seen that yes yes and this woman who's in a pile of sand that for the first half and is you know in this sort of strange happiness and I just kind of changed the metaphor to laundry and um that's <laughs> this Sisyphean task and I wrote it as a play, because even though like it's easy to say soccer moms, it was really as much about the men. Because I was like, okay, I understand like stay-at-home moms, why they can mm-hmm. get to their kids. But I found this whole Machiavellian thing going on with the men mm-hmm. as well. And how all these parents' stature in the town was defined by their kids. And also I was like, I'm in these, because I was on this, I was a jock. I am a jock. And I was in these sports meetings. I'm like, wait, we're going to midnight and one in the morning making these, what are imagined, these big decisions about like travel, right. you know, baseball and right. pitch in this game because we right. need not to pitch in that game. And, you know, in soccer. And I was like, but these guys have to get up at 6 a.m. to go to work. And why do they want? So I wanted to look at all that. And so I did right. it. as, And again, everything for me does have a level of humor. And I also wanted to do a story about suburbia that was from an insider's point of view, because I feel mm-hmm. like so many times we see suburbia and the, especially the women are very one dimensional. You know, mm-hmm. they're like Karens, you know, that kind yes, of yes. thing before Karens existed. Right. There was, And I wanted to really look at yeah these are flawed characters but at the end they're all trying to do what's best for their kids anyway i did it as a play and then everybody loved the play because it won this contest and they're like hey you have to turn into a movie i'm like no it's not a movie it's a play and they're like no you have to turn into a movie i'm like okay <laughs> so and so that's where that came from i see i see so when you when you decided to turn it into a film now did you have distribution how did that work for you and how did you uh, you know secure your talent because that step from play to that is a huge step. 
Well, I don't know if, you know, because I, I, I feel like I'm holding on to your last question. I mean, no, I had to deal with Warner Brothers and I'm like, I'm back. Everybody's going to care about me. I made a movie. I have stars in it. I don't even know what I'm doing. And I got a Warner Brothers. And, and then I'm like, I'm never going to go back and do it the other way. I've yet to have anybody really like me not start from the bottom up on every film. So on Bad Parents, the pe my people who had seen this play version of it mm -hmm. were the ones who ultimately invested in it. But it ended up being because I knew that you need, well, ideally you want to get a name cast to get the distribution deal right. a lot easier. And I knew I had to shoot this because I'm shooting it back east. I'm in New York um, in the fall. Right. And there was like pilot season and whatnot. I'm like, well, I'm not going to raise the money and make this movie unless I get good names. And I had a reputation from my other stuff that I could get names and then sort of raise money, you know, like, mm -hmm. cause they knew I would pull it off. Mm -hmm. So it was really crazy because all of a sudden, every, so many actor actresses in particular were just like, Oh my God, I relate to this script. I relate to these women. I get it. And I'm casting and I'm trying to raise money and then I'm trying to find a soccer field that we could shoot on. And if you know anything about how in California, how hard it is to get a field just to play on, like to That's get right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To reserve one to do a shoot was is, is impossible. Right. Yeah. So we magically pulled it off because at the time they're like, oh, moms don't go to the theater. So it never really turned into a play play, but it won a play contest that got it a, a showcase production. Mm -hmm. So enough people saw the showcase like it was 10 nights and then yeah i mean it was crazy because it was an i mean i keep doing these ensembles um since then right. uh, but we had you know we had janine garofalo and she right. signed on first but then there were other names and i just couldn't keep bringing people from la but i mean and she was great we had sherry o'terry and christopher titus um I mean, we had a great, another like really good comedic cast. And that's what I'm saying is if anybody writes comedy, get funny right. people to be in your comedy. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Cute, cute, Q one, right? Is like if you're doing comedy, it's got to be funny and you got to have like comedic actors. If you get comedic actors, they make you funnier. <laughs> <laughs> it works better that way. Mm -hmm. Interesting because then you went from that and then you segued into um, your next film. Which was really interesting because you then took a um, a, a leap. You want to talk about that and and how that what leaped you mean, into the other F word or pulling to paradise? No, uh, F word, which was your TV series. And but but see that was that was really interesting because there was a whole social media component that allowed you. So let's talk about that social media component and how you got the idea and then the casting. We premiered it. We, you, you know, did. you were our premiere. So. Silly me, because I let the stories, you know, do it. I mean, basically when I made um, the first one and I met this woman on a chairlift and she's like, wait, and this is when I was like 40. She's like, you're 40 years old and you want to make an independent film? Ha ha ha. That's what kids do. <laughs> and she goes, well, I have an office if you want to shoot in it. So I'm like, okay. So I got the, so I got all my locations. I mean, I, I'm all about trying not to pay for locations, but um so then I was like, oh, now I'm even older and I'm going to tell a story. And the story to me had to be episodic because I went from bad parents, which was about parents living vicariously through their kids and a child centric life. 
And then I was dealing with, oh, when your kids grow up and they're gone. So I wanted to look at the other side of that, of that generation, well, the generation of women still, I mean, our parents Mm -hmm. that live, you know, their kids are the most important thing because Mm -hmm. probably when we grew up, kids were seen but not heard. Now it's parents are... Oh, yeah, no, no, no. My mom would say, you know, leave the house and go play with outside. You know, I find a snake or something to play with. And she says, don't come back until dinner, right? It was like, go away and don't come back until dinner. Yeah. So anyway, so I wanted to look at that. But again, from, I think, stuff you talked about, like, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to do something episodic. Web series, Mm -hmm. we're having this moment. Right. And again, it was the same kind of thing, like that first thing. People are like, oh, but people your age, which were women like turning 50, late 40s, like they don't know about YouTube. They don't know how to use the internet. I'm like, are you fucking, they're like, but look at YouTube's demographics. I'm like, because there's nothing for them to watch on YouTube. Not that I put mine on YouTube, but I was like, you bring it and they will come. I promise you. Right. So first of all, in Bad Parents, I discovered the whole blogger world because bloggers were taking off. And so I use blogs to sort of, I mean, I had a distribution deal, but I like I think marketing, like through festival, using festivals as a marketing tool to reach an audience, as well as like these bloggers, I really enjoyed. And it was a way to connect with your story, which is what makes the pandemic horrible because you don't really get to connect with your audience. So I started understanding about bloggers. So I said, okay, let's see if there's anybody blogging, mothers that are blogging about this midlife space. And, And I found them and I started going, I went to a blogger convention, which actually informed that the next thing because she's a blogger um and i was like well let's see if these women are having a similar experience in empty nesting and then even rob lowe was talking about that and so i kind of brought this audience on because i knew with a, a, a movie you make it and you hope for a distribution deal i mean many people have to do it yourself so there's nothing wrong with that but the end goal for that is hopefully to find a distributor that'll get you on these platforms. With a web series, you really have to aggregate your your audience. And I knew that to either upsell it, you know, to get somebody to notice you. So I was like, okay, well, I have to bring the audience right from the beginning. So you really you really actually reverse engineered this. You know, you came from this this background of these are the people and what kind of content would they be watched and then created it from that. Yeah. And I brought them on, which is, well, again, what a lot of people do with, I did this sort of before all the, um, what people do with the crowdfunding. It's like, oh, let's bring people on at the beginning. And then I went to these bloggers at the end. So I was very lucky. So I made in terms of in a business model, and it was the most rewarding of all my projects because I was speaking to yet again, another underserved audience, which mm-hmm. were women who feel invisible, women at midlife. I learned, oh, again, I'm, here I am. I have like five different things for your question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, About ageism okay. in Hollywood, but- that's okay. So. that's okay, because you were you were tapping into ageism. You were tapping into women yeah. over 40. You were creating content yeah. that, for that demographic that hadn't really been focused on. And you were doing it as a comedy as opposed to a drama. What's the difference between when you're when you're choosing to do the the drum the uh, drama and the comedy? What's the difference between the writing technique? And then we, I want to finish up this. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I did one comedy. I mean, everything to me has comedy in it, and it always has drama. I really do dramedies. 
So, I mean, I have a thriller that somebody else made, and I really should write more of those because there's definitely a market for that. And comedies are tricky just on the world stage. So anyway, I did do that episodically, got a huge um, audience. It was a time which is just written about in IndieWire today, like when Amazon was really looking for content. So I benefited from their bonuses and their better royalty structure. So, so Amazon, Amazon found you. You had launched this as a. No, I uploaded it on Amazon. Oh, you did. You did upload it. Okay, right. Oh no, I self-distributed it. But at the time, Amazon was offering bonuses because they were trying. They're just writing about that Amazon doesn't want to take documentaries anymore. Right. Amazon is in a fickle space now, and then they had the whole festival thing that they've abandoned. I was there Mm -hmm. when they were desperate, like whatever it was, six years ago. They would pay. They had a million dollar budget for the top performing shows. So mm-hmm. then I went back to the bloggers and we got them to get their audience to watch it. And I was also in that, I'll show you millennials, I can get middle-aged women to watch stuff online. <laughs> right, right. And you ended up and you ended up getting a million unique views. Oh, I got correct? several million and I got like thousands of dollars in bonuses. Like I did pretty well and then I got, anyway, I did pretty well financially considering um and there are producers oh that you know that are still unfortunately the pandemic happened still trying to seed it if they can get it to a half hour so um it's it's we joke it's it's the project (laughs) that's never ending (laughs) the one that won't die a brand on board but in any case so and then then that led me to going okay you want a story for the millennials and i made cooling to paradise and then the play was simultaneous because I was it was a very it was a confined story based on a a real night out with an uber driver and um that inspired the story and then I was like oh it's four people talking about the meaning of life in their 30s and at crossroads so I was like oh it could be a play it could be a movie so I'm like oh it's a play and a movie (laughs) right right so um, just I just want to finish back on the on the Amazon. So you were doing sure. really really well with Amazon, and yes. then did you reach out to AARP or did AARP find you? You reached out. You were like, "Here's how." No, my phone never rings. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you aggressively you aggressively you said, me. "Listen, <laughs> can I hug you?" Yes, you hugs, me. hugs. Um, so you reached out to AARP, and what did you say to them? I mean, how did you get them? Well, they launched The Girlfriend um, because they were trying at the time to, even though they didn't really say it, there was Refinery29 and they were like, well, we want to be the next thing. And they came up with this very hip, fresh platform online um, magazine because now they have another one called The Ethel. So they were trying to brand themselves younger. And I went to their the editor and I sent her the show. I said, maybe we can partner or something like that. And she's like, oh my God, I love this. And she had been, a, you know, she knew all the bloggers. So we were in the same circle. And then that's how I kind of had this brand deal to try to turn it into a TV show. So they, and they licensed the web series. I have a third license. Some other platform just licensed it. So I'm on, they licensed the content for the girlfriend website. Then we tried to sell it, but ran into some roadblocks. And now I have another platform that was 
called Daily Dramas or something that mm-hmm. we'll at some point be releasing it again. <laughs> and so from from that that experience, have you decided to um, create more television? Um, or you no. <laughs> You're like, I'm done with this? Many times I'm too old for television and I'm too old. So there we go. And it, No, I mean, I don't know. I, honestly, I mean, yes and no. But it really was, it was, it was, it's one thing when your content is, is rejected, but when you are sort of based on your age, your race, your religion, your sexual preference. Mm-hmm kind of rejected it's it's hard (laughs) and it doesn't mean that somebody else doesn't get the opportunity but it was people with ages and people are somewhat brutally more honest than they are with other groups (laughs) right but 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 even the the f word didn't just do ageism and you had lgbt you know elements in there as well uh so you were also store telling a storyline that had that element yeah, no, I'm always in about like, like, I like to do all those things very organically, because mm-hmm. I hate when you see something that you feel like some executive said, you know what we're missing in this. And I just felt like, well, this is very representative of my life. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to have, have that reflected in there that rep- and which is kind of what happens with the pooling to paradise it's like i told a story about this woman moving back to new york now i have one that takes place in la with a bunch of 30 year olds and i'm like okay our landscape is very diverse now and so um you know it's important to me because i tell these sort of contemporary stories based on the human condition that it sort of reflects the world the world we're living in where do you see yourself in the next like five years where are you uh where do you want to go in the next five years i don't know um the thing that's first of all i think it's like especially because like i said i'm a filmmaker and i really just find myself as a filmmaker because that's an easy way depending on the jobs i do but it always starts for me with i mean i'm definitely like i'm doing a storytelling event so i produce as a producer um like event stuff where I can help other, put other people. So I'm doing a storytelling event um, and a junior storytelling event, which is a moth-like thing, which is women at the crossroads for Goddard, this thing on the Upper West Side. So it's really exciting for me to enable that. And I did a women's comedy night. So in the producing space, I do that. And it's really, you know, kind of what you do. It's like giving artists a platform and I don't have to be the artist. I can just be the person that gives them this platform and feel that sort of maternal, you know, pride of giving these people this opportunity. So, and I'm, I'm writing some, I'm doing a short film actually in a couple of weeks Mm -hmm. because it's outdoors. It's a pandemic Mm -hmm. love story. That is, that one doesn't have comedy, really. <laughs> okay. Uh, what's your advice for new filmmakers, uh, women? You just have to have passion that's authentic. You have to have, like what I say, you have to know that there's going to be times that you're going to cry and you just shake it off and get up and, you know, brush away the tears. It's okay. Um, you're going to get discouraged, but we need culture we need stories Mm -hmm. and you just 
have to find the truth within all your stories, like why, why it matters. Mm -hmm. And I also think, because again, if for what you're asking, everybody doesn't have to be the writer, but make sure the story you're trying to tell is as good as it can be when you go into production, because it is very easy to just get excited to make something and the only thing you can control is the script. It doesn't mean your actors will read those lines. Right. It doesn't mean you'll make everything happen. That's that's all out of your control. The only mm -hmm. thing you can control is that you have the best script, the best story that you want to tell. Right. And use all the resources you can to get that. And then like know who like who's going to care like who's your audience and the audience it can't just be everybody it's never everybody right and it doesn't have to be a demographic or a, a or a niche but just what is the thing in your story that's going to make somebody care okay well um i'm going to ask one last question which is <laughs> uh, <laughs> so give us a dirty little secret of hollywood that you have learned through your experience it's really hard to make money doing this. Right. And that you just, I think on your first film, you're allowed to be really naive about that. Um, and that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Um, and I wish there was a better structure for filmmakers because I think we need stories and we need to find a way. So I do think, and the other dirty secret is nobody cares about you. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Nobody right. cares about you. <laughs> That is totally a dirty little secret that no one tells you. They don't care about you. Yeah. Not at all. <laughs> but then, but once you accept that, you can, like, cause then it's like, well, if you fear, sorry for yourself, nobody cares. Right. So that's why it's like, so you can't be looking for approval, like, but right. from them. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Well, I want to thank you for coming on and doing this um, for us. So for all those that are interested in submitting their film uh, for the La Femme International Film Festival, we have open call for entries. So go ahead and find us on uh, Film Freeway or www.lafemme.org. The uh, podcast you've been listening to will be posted on the La Femme International uh, Film Festival YouTube channel. So you can tap in there, see the video uh, aspect. Podcast will be on all the podcast um, sublets, so you guys can take a look there. Like us on Instagram, like us on, uh, or contact us on Twitter, uh, send us and shout outs on Instagram. And I want to thank um, our lovely, beautiful, beautiful uh, guest, Katha Jenkins. Uh, tell us your social media so they can go. Well, can I do a shout out? Do I have time to do a quick shout Please, out for your shout out? Well, I'm just saying, is, you know, there's a lot of festivals out there and La Femme is just, it is such an exciting, fun festival. And even though, I mean, and that's like with my thing, just because it's, first of all, it's not only always just female filmmakers, but right. it's just women can do it better. And I just feel like this is an example. It is so well organized. Um, you know, they have, gr a, when it's live, which is even in the pandemic, but like they have a great venue, amazing goodie bags, <laughs> great panels they take care like to that like it's you can really get lost in this and that's why i said when people don't care like you it's a place where you feel that they're so you know la femme that you show up and they're excited to see you and super proud of the art you've created and it's really um 
you know, it's one of my favorite festivals. Oh, thank you. Thank you. We try. We try. And I love being part of the panels when I don't have a project that lines up. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, well, where can they contact you? Uh, shout out your socials. Yeah. So I'm like super. And I used to joke real quickly that I used to make movies to get more Facebook friends. And I used to joke about that, like, because I was at the beginning of Facebook. Right, right. But like with a name like Katha, which is in there, like I'm everything kind of Katha. So if you put C-A-Y-T-H-A on Instagram, or on Facebook and you know and my film my website is foxmeadowfilms.com which kind of sends you out to all my projects that have the own thing but you know that's the you get a weird name like Katha you get to own it (laughs) awesome awesome thank you so much thank you for joining us thank you for joining us on Best in Fest so uh, shout out to us find us on Twitter Instagram uh, and um, there you go Best in Fest (laughs) 